Everyone likes to have someone watching. We like being seen. Do you remember, do you remember when you were a kid and uh, you went to the concert uh, because you had practiced that scratchy violin and, and you, you didn't care who was there, but you wanted mom and dad to be there, right? You're at the soccer uh, match and you're playing and your mom and dad are not there, but I tell you what, you know when their car pulls in because you like to be seen. You like them to watch. Isn't that true, mom and dad? Kids, you like it when people see. The art show, we, it doesn't matter if you see anything else but that one scribble on the wall, that's what you want to see, right? I want to see what my kids do. I remember seeing my kids playing in the water and <laughs> they uh, just enjoying themselves, having fun, tag, dunk people under the water, see how long you can hold your breath, whatever game it is that you come up with. And then when they pop up, there's always that moment when they turn back and they want to see if you're watching them. They want to see if you see them. There's something built in us of wanting to be seen by our parents, wanting to be noticed, wanting to be not only cared for, but just observed. I just want to see you. God is no different. We have a heavenly dad. One of his names is El Roy, the God who sees. And so often in the midst of the scriptures, there's a, I was told that I use the word midst a lot. Do I use the word midst a lot? I just said it. I'm going to challenge myself to not use it today. While life is happening, it's kind of like a race. The scriptures talk about life as being a race quite often, or a walk, or a direction. We're, we're moving through life. And uh, I use today the picture of a race to depict life. That we want to be able to run a good race. We want to run a better race. We've talked about finishing well. When we began, uh, we ended chapter 5 and began chapter 6. And then we talked about not finishing well. And now I want to talk for the next two weeks. We're going to talk a bit about what the race looks like. A better race. And here's, what I, here's the point I want you to get as we open. God sees your race. Just like our children who are playing and and. and, and in, in all of their silliness, they pause to turn and look and see if mom and dad are looking. I don't think it's wrong. I don't think it's wrong. And I think even this scripture shows us that it's right that we turn and look and we see him. And what is he doing? But he is looking at us. And he sees us. He sees everyone here. And he sees your race. And I pray for us. Father, we thank you. We thank you for even the names that the scriptures give to you that we might 
understand you. And in some ways, in your character, you give us ways that we know that you understand us. That in that relationship, us as your kids, as we gaze towards you, we do long to know that you are seeing us. Sometimes it's terrifying because we don't want to be seen, yet you see us. Sometimes we feel alone and the encouragement and the reminder that you see us gives us presence and comfort. Whatever the case might be with each one that's sitting here this morning, God, would you be an encouragement to us this morning? Would you, would you see us in the midst of our race, and would you, by your grace and your Holy Spirit, would you help us to see our race well enough to be seen by you? Well enough to, to know that, that we are just like every other human who is sitting here, and we are running a race. God, we trust you. Would you work in us today? Prick our hearts, wake us up, shake us just a bit, that we, we might be honest before you and be seen. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Would you stand as we read Hebrews chapter 6, verses 9 through 12. Though we speak in this way, Yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints, as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Have a seat. I've got four points today, and my first one is this. The race begins with salvation. The race begins with salvation. Now, that doesn't mean to say, I don't mean to say that your story begins with salvation. That's actually not true. Many of us have a very long story that happens and then we come to know, know Christ, and there is salvation. Some have a very short story to tell, and then Christ does a work of saving us, and, and there is. But this race run before God with his eyes on us begins with salvation. Verses 9 and 10 give us this contrast from what we had just been talking about. There's a very stern warning in the beginning of chapter 6 that says, don't fall away. Don't give up. Don't fall away. And the reason why, as we saw last week, the, the warning is so stern is because it's a reality. He was talking to real people. And real people had actually fallen away. He says now, beloved, beloved, falling away is not what I see in you. I am compelled out of love to warn you of not falling away, my beloved. Why? Because it is real. Some walk in the truth for a short time and then give up. 
There are real people who at one point left the shadow of Judaism for the reality of Christ. But in time, as we heard last week in 1 John chapter 2, verses 19 and 22, let me remind you of what it says. It looked like this. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For they had been of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us, but you who have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. There's this picture of why the warning comes out is because there are some who walk among us who look like believers, but then fall away, proving that they actually are not of us. It's a real warning. But... This is the other foot coming down, and I hope you feel it, because I have this week. But, beloved, listen to that word and let it sink. Loved ones, loved ones, beloved, I see better things for you. What I see in your life makes me, makes me feel sure of much better things for you. What a great thing to have, one, have someone say they see good things in your life. What better things are we talking about? The things that are of salvation. The things that are of salvation. He's saying those things that were the start of your race, I want to point out to you, I actually am seeing the things of salvation in your life confirming for me and affirming for me, and I want to affirm for you that you are not of those who are falling away. I see better things for you. Things that belong to being born again, to being true children of God. There are things happening in your life that are in keeping with being a true follower of Jesus. What are the things that he saw? You can see them right there in the text. He saw their work for the Lord. He saw their labor. He saw that they were concerned for the things of God in in such a way that they were willing to adjust their personal agenda to move forward and move towards people and serve the Lord on their behalf. Their work, he saw it. He saw their labor. He also saw their love. Do you know that before Christ, we didn't really know what love is. We did things that, that maybe had an appearance of being loving. We did things that maybe brought about certain emotions that we equate in the world with love or affection. But in reality, to love the way Christ loves with a sacrifice, with a commitment, with a choice and a decision that doesn't have expectation of a return coming back to me. That kind of love, I don't know about you, but that wasn't me before Christ. I couldn't do that. I didn't do that. And the Lord knows there are days when that's not my reality. I forget and I'm self-serving. I try to please myself 
And I try to fix something so that I can feel less uncomfortable about the situation I'm in. But love, this is what he saw in them. I see how you're loving other people. I see how you're serving the saints. The word, the, the, the word here for serving is the same word that we get for deacon or deaconess. I see how you are deaconing one another. It's not a role. It's a, it's a fruit that comes from a, from a life that is filled with the spirit, that loves other people, that sees very real needs in their life and goes about the work of serving those people. I see how you're deaconing one another. I think about this passage and I think about this contrast of those who are falling away who, or did fall away and the encouragement to not fall away and those who he's observing are having better things. They have better things in their life. The statistics of young people that begin well and then they move into young adulthood and they don't finish the way that they started are astounding. The numbers are staggering. Yet I'm encouraged. I'm encouraged when I see a group of young adults <laughs> that want to get together. I'm not there. You're not there. They just want to love one another and they want to open God's word and learn. Our young adults are going through the book of Romans. What? Who does that? Better things. Better things. That ought to give us hope. And these better things are, are not only in our young adult ministry, but are these better things even are reflected in a group of people that are over at the other building making pancakes for us. Praise God. Better things. People who want to serve as volunteers. No payment, no recognition, no list of names scrolling on the screen. Better things. Love one another. Serving one another. Working for the mission of Christ. Tirelessly. Many times alone. These are better things that he sees in them. He says, because I see these better things, I have, a, I have a hope. I am more sure of who you are as God's kids. A better race begins with salvation. Second point is this. In verse 10, we begin to see that God sees this race. The writer saw them in their race as it begun, it began with salvation and the work that they're doing affirms and, and testifies of their salvation and he sees them, but he's not the only one and more importantly, God sees them. God sees their race that they're running. What does this mean? In verse 10, it can, it can seem a little confusing. Look at, it, look at it in your Bibles. In verse 10, it says that God is not unjust to overlook your good works. Now, Jeff, didn't we say that, that we're not saved by our works? What does God's justice have to do with my good works? 
think that's a very good question. What does this mean? First of all, can I give you another definition or another way of translating the word unjust that might be helpful? God is not wicked to miss seeing your life. God is not cruel as to not see the works that are coming from your life. Now, this is not God looking at you in an evaluative sense, saying that, that there's, there's some kind of uh, justification that you are earning for yourself through your good works. What he's saying is that there is value to him seeing your good works. It matters. And we're going to talk about why it matters that you actually are bearing fruit in your life as a believer. God is not looking at you in an evaluative way. That's not what this text is saying. He's looking at his kids and what they do matters. And it's more in a sense of reward. Imagine my kids who are in the, in the water playing and, and, and there isn't a sense of evaluation that I have of them while they're playing but they turn and they look. And what are they looking for? A sense of affirmation. You're okay. You're okay. It's all right. I like that you're having fun and I smile and I enjoy you because you're having fun and you're being how you you were made and and I'm just sitting here enjoying the moment and watching you. It's, It's not an evaluation of them. It's an affirmation. It's a delight and who they are. God sees your race. It's not about doing good things so God likes you and says, you get to go to heaven. Ephesians 2, 8 and 10 is really good. 8 to 10 is really good for us to review here. It says this, for by grace you have been saved through faith and this not of your own doing. It is a gift of God. Real clearly, not a result of works so that no one may boast. It's very clear, isn't it? Not a result of works. But it doesn't mean that works are, 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 are useless or wrong to talk about or wrong to delight in. For we are his workmanship, the scripture goes on to say. Created in Christ Jesus, why? For good works. Now, why would the scriptures say this if there wasn't a great value in the works and the fruit of our life? These works were prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We were created for good works. Both of these these truths are held tightly together in, in the scriptures and they ought to be held tightly together in our hearts. We are not saved by our works but our good works matter greatly in our life in the race. J.C. Ryle says this. He says, I bless God that our salvation in no wise depends on our works, but I never would have any believer for a moment forget that our sense of salvation depends much on the manner of our living. The way we live does matter. The obedience that we express out of love for Christ, it does matter. The fruit of our lives, it does matter. 
where we're not ultimately saved, we were not ultimately saved to study, we were saved to serve. Knowledge is good and helpful, and study, I do it. I do it, and study is good and helpful. But listen to me. If it evokes loving God and loving others, if it evokes active, living stones, living hope kind of worship of God, and loving other people in consistent way with loving God. There's no such thing as couch potato theology. There's not a, there's not a theological concept of loving God that will ever, ever, I'm telling you, ever leave you sitting on a couch watching TV, not serving others, not loving others, not working for the Lord in his kingdom. It will never be true that that was his intent. There's no such thing as a couch potato theology. God has instituted, here's why God has instituted in his plan and design a root and fruit principle. A root and fruit principle. It was referenced back in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 7 and 8, where we saw the rain falls on the land and the plant grows and some, some, some bear fruit and some bear, bear thistles and, and, and thorns, but all receive the gospel. And we get to see, we get to see the difference between those who fall away and those that, that don't. Jesus said it this way in Luke chapter 6, Verse 43 to 45. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasures of his heart produce good, and the evil person out of the evil treasures produces evil. And out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Now here's a root and fruit principle. There are other places in scripture where this is taught, but here's just one of them. It's probably the most clear. The root and fruit principle. There are things that we do not see about our own heart. So to speak, it is beneath the surface. Just like a tree grows and you see its leaves and you see its fruit, there is a portion of the tree that is beneath the surface and its roots go deep into the ground and you cannot see them. Fruit is seen and the heart is not. Fruit can be evaluated. It has an impact. The way the fruit of our lives moves towards other people, they feel it and they see it and they experience it from us. The heart is disguised or unseen. It is behind a veil. It is under the ground. It is where the roots go deep underneath and they support the tree and they feed the tree and, and the tree is actually becoming what those roots want for it to be. Our hearts are hidden beneath the surface. It's, it's where our motivations are. It it's where we, where we love things the most. It's where worship happens. And what happens on the surface of my life 
reflects what is happening deep in my heart where nobody else can see. And how hard is it? How hard is it for an apple tree to produce an apple? It's really not complicated, is it? Now, God does amazing things to make amazing things happen in in creation, correct? But in general, when an apple seed is put into the ground, it will produce an apple tree. And how hard is it for that apple tree to produce an apple? It's not complicated at all. It just happens, right? What happens when the roots of that tree actually produce thorns and thistles. It reveals that there's something else going on beneath the surface, doesn't it? The roots are that of a completely different tree. And it produces a different kind of fruit. The roots and fruit principle, it If you think that you're actually hiding your heart, you're kidding yourself. That's the reality. Because even hiding your heart is a fruit. Chew on that one for a little while. Even you trying to hide from other people or to isolate yourself from other people so nobody will ever see you, do you understand that that is actually a fruit that other people see your lack of presence. And it reveals your heart. It reveals your heart. You see, the root and fruit principle is something that God has built into humanity. You can't avoid it. You can't say, I don't want to sign up for the root and fruit program. We're all in it. We're all in it. And people might say, well, Jeff, when you, when you sit with someone and you, you, think of, you, you think of me in a counseling room or you think of me in a conversation with someone and say, Jeff, how do, you, how, do you know, how do you know how to help someone? First of all, can I tell you this? In a conversation where you're trying to help someone, a friend, I'm not the most important person in the conversation. The Spirit of God is always the most important person in every conversation. Can we get an amen? Amen. It's not about skills and talents. Some of it's about training. But the reality is, if you spend enough time with someone, their heart actually begins to be revealed in their words, in their face, in their tears, in their stories the fruit of their life begins to reveal where their heart is at. That's what it's like to walk together as friends. For you and I, for us as a family to begin to walk together as friends, we we trust that the Spirit of God is going to help us in the midst of a conversation to work our way past the fruit and get to the root of where that stuff's coming from. Are we tracking? Praise God. The second point was that God sees this. This whole race that we're running, he sees what's happening. 
There's a root and a fruit. And the beauty of God is that it doesn't take him any time at all to understand the roots of my heart. He just goes there instantly when he chooses. And he reveals what he wants when he wants. And he sees it and loves me. Isn't that an amazing truth? That God sees me and what? And he loves me. God has created you. He has changed your heart. He has taken you from a, from a heart of stone and given you a heart of flesh. Why? So that you would be fruitful. That you would be fruitful. He sees the fruit that's being born in your life. Maybe no one else can see it. Maybe nobody else is looking. Maybe nobody's, nobody's watching. Maybe while you're at work or at school or while you're just being a mom and a dad or just being alone. Maybe nobody else sees, but God sees. In the quietness of your home, in the exhaustion, in the loneliness, he sees. And my call to you, in the midst of God seeing, in the midst of this root and fruit kind of life, my call to you is don't give up. Don't stop. Continue to serve the Lord. Continue to love others. Continue to move towards working in his kingdom to serve your master. Jonathan Edwards said it this way. He said, resolution one, I will live for God. Resolution two, even when no one else is, I will live for God. How often is it that we're waiting for maybe someone else to jump in, waiting for something else to move, maybe for one sh- a shift in a relationship or something specific, you fill in the blank. As soon as this happens, then I will serve the Lord. Can I, can I just encourage you? What the scriptures is saying here is that I, I see, I see your work, I see your love, I see your, your service right in the midst of all the struggle of life. Continue to serve the Lord. Be in that race. God sees it. Let me read verse 11. Move us on to verse 3. And we are, or my third point, and we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end. And that's my third point. A better race runs all the way to the end. A better race runs all the way to the end. You get the picture. If you don't cross the finish line, you get a DNF. A DNF is you did, did not finish. There is no way to finish the race but to finish the race. I want each of you, he says, I want each of you to show the same earnestness. What he's saying is that there are some in the congregation, there are some in this letter reading radius, there are some that are earnest, they are serving, they are working, they are loving, and that there are others that he's encouraging, I want you all to show the same earnestness all the way until the end. Be eager to bear fruit of your salvation. Be eager, verse 10, to work, love, and serve. It's the opposite of the word sluggish in verse 12. Who likes to be called sluggish? 
I mean, that doesn't feel good at all. It's the same word that's used back in chapter 4. That's, that's, uh, that's uh, what's the word that he uses? Come on now. Don't be dull. It's the same word. He uses sluggish here. It's translated sluggish here. Don't be dull. Don't be sluggish. Continue to serve the Lord all the way to the end. Brothers and sisters, are you a confessing Christian? Are you a confessing Christian? Show me how you know how to forgive like Jesus does. Are you a biblical Christian? Show me steadfast love like Jesus. Are you a wise Christian? Show me long-suffering service. Are you a theologically sound Christian? Show me your relationships. Show me. Let me see. Let's see what it is that you actually believe. Show me. Why? Why do we want the fruit to be shown? Why do we want to continue to love, serve, and, uh, and uh, love, serve, and, uh, and work for the Lord? Why do we want to do that? This text says there's a reason why. So that is what the text says, to have. It could be translated unto obtaining, so that you would get something. There's something that comes from our earnestness in serving the Lord. What is it? It's a full assurance of hope. A full assurance of hope. Are you struggling with assurance? Are you struggling with being hopeful in this life? What he's saying is, here is that as you serve, as you work, as you love one another well, there is a filling up that happens. There's a grace that God gives to those who are serving and loving and working for the Lord. There's a filling up that takes place. I'm not talking about work hard to have your best life now. But what I am saying is don't settle for a dry, grumpy, distant, isolated existence. Serve the Lord. Love one another well. Press into relationships. Work for the Lord. Be filled up all the way to overflowing with a sense of hope and assurance that his kingdom is here, that he does love his children, that we are a family. It's not fake it till you make it. It's not, it's not get, get, pull up your bootstraps and get to work and then God's going to bless you. What the scripture says is that show me the earnestness Show me, where is the eagerness to love and serve? I'll show you a person that is filled up with a hope, filled up with an assurance of their salvation. Richard Phillips says says this, it's every true pastor's fervent desire for his flock that his people would not press forward grudgingly, but would know the full assurance of their salvation and therefore the joy and the peace that are provided for them in Christ. This is what diligence in the faith provides, an increasing awareness and possession of the riches that are ours in Christ Jesus, with ever-increasing joy in the Lord. Eagerly work, eagerly love, eagerly serve one another.
Last point is this. The better race, the better race has been run before you. You're not alone. The better race has been run before you. This is a race that has been run with people and different, in different places and different times, and it will be run, and the Lord, Lord willing, it will be run, Lord willing, by your kids too. This is a foretaste of Hebrews chapter 11. And here the implication is to be an imitator in this text. Actually, it's, it's to be an imitator of Abraham. And we're going to hear more about that next week from Lad Chapman. In general, there are those who have run this race before us. How did they run it? They ran it with faith and patience. All the way to their inheritance. They ran it with faith and patience all the way to the end. I was talking with a friend about the long haul that it is to live the Christian life, to run the the race. What, What does this long haul look like? What does this long haul feel like? And she said this, when I think about the long haul, I think about circumstances more than distance. I've had years that felt like 20 and some people, that's their every year. Can you imagine? Some people's circumstances, they, they feel like 20 years in a year. What kind of people? It can be people who are struggling with mental illness. Can you imagine the, 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 the year that they feel and they experience and their run and their race, what that feels like to be them and what it feels like to be me? What feels like a year to me and 20 years, it's, it's more about the circumstance of what God is bringing us through. Have you ever, have you ever sat with people who, who are going through suffering really well and you just are amazed and in awe of the wisdom that comes out of them? I think in some ways it's, it's because this really is true. They They've lived 20 years in a year. And their wisdom and their love reflects something that's different than those of us who don't have that kind of suffering. A better race that has been run before you. Some of the people who have run before you are a lot younger than you. Does that make sense? It's why we look at some people and say, man, they're so wise beyond their years. It's because there's something that God has done in some people's lives that that it's like, wow, they're actually running a race and they're farther down the road than me. Think about it. When a person is wrestling with certain kinds of suffering, their race is more complicated. It's a a climbing up a mountain that... uh, that sometimes feels like I'm never going to get to the top. Have you ever felt like this? Have you ever felt like your race was kind of like that? Can you imagine a year of that? Can you imagine 20 years of that? There are some of you who are sitting here who have experienced 20 years of that hanging on by your fingernails, wondering when I'm going to get to the top. 
I want to encourage you for a moment. You are not alone. Imagine you're climbing that, that rock. And what God does through passages like this and passages like Hebrews chapter 11, what God does is, is like this. You grab a rock for another hold and you glance over and in that rock is, is, is carved in there the names of people who've been there before you. <laughs> You're holding on for dear life and then you realize in your loneliness the word David. Huh. David's been here before. He knows what loneliness feels like. You're working with obstinate people and, and people who are stiff-necked and, and you're holding on for dear life and you just wonder when it's going to end and wonder when it's going to all make sense and then you glance over at the rock and it says, Moses. Huh. Moses has been here before. David has been here before. Then you glance over at the rock and inscribed in the rock and you're holding on for dear life and I look there and there's my dad's name. <laughs> my dad's been here before me. And my mom has been here before me. And there's young people who have suffered and they've been holding on for dear life and they've been there before me. And this is where I leave you. <laughs> I can't not say this. Wait. Roy, Nethel, Roy, Roy, Roy Nelson's name is on that rock. You know, Jim Eberline, his name's on that rock. And, and you're climbing and you don't know if you're going to make it, but you look and you glance and you see there's someone who's been here before me. I'm not alone. That's what this text is supposed to evoke in us. What names will your kids see on the rock? What names will your kids see? They will certainly see those champions of the faith from the scriptures. If they're wise enough to look as they're holding on for dear life, they will certainly see the champions of faith. Will they see your name? Will they see your name? Will they, will they be reminded, oh, my dad's been here before. My mom's been here before. My mentor has been here before. Oh, there's the name of my good friend. She's been there before. Will your children finish the race? Will you be an encouragement to them one day? Frank, why don't you come up and lead us in a song? God has given us amazing, amazing grace and encouragement in the scriptures. Glance at the rock. Just glance at the rock. What do you see inscribed there? What do you see carved in there that you might be encouraged to keep climbing?